will you help us see what you think and know that this is the truth? And may it change the way we work. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've been following uh, news with uh, not only the, the, the flood, but also the stories that come out of it, the, the amazing places that uh, people are doing great things in Texas, that they're reaching out, they're helping. I, I was reading USA Today, and I, was, I read a story about a woman who went into labor as the floodwaters were rising, and neighbors and rescue workers formed a human chain to get her out to the, the rescue trucks, to get her out of there so she could deliver her baby safely. I love that. Or I read about a story of a man who owned a couple furniture stores, and he, uh, he has delivery trucks, and he was sending out his delivery trucks to pick up people and is housing 400 men, women, and children in his two furniture stores. Uh, I heard with pets, you know. So, you know, come on in. Uh, I love that. I know God loves that. Even some of the tragic stories that still have uh, an element of rescue of, of a mother. Maybe you read this one, a mother who was trying to keep her daughter, her baby girl, above the floodwaters, and, and the mother perished. But the baby held on to a backpack and was rescued. And, 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 and the rescue worker said, certainly she did everything she could to keep her baby alive. And you hear those stories and, and you can't help but, but think, what would I be doing if I was there? You know, if you were on the ground there, what would you do? It's motivation to pray for those people. Maybe motivation to send gifts of money to help. Gifts of clothing. Whatever we can do. But I have a question on this Labor Day. And it's, it comes out of a verse that I grew up hearing about, thinking about, wondering about. It's a verse in Isaiah that says, Our righteousness is like filthy rags. And so my question that I'd like to ask for us is, are those efforts to the Lord filthy rags? Is the work of believers just just dirty rags? Is it in one sense we can say that they're noteworthy and noble and wonderful, and in another sense we can say, but really, spiritually speaking, not really. And I know I've heard sermons in different places that have said that even, even our best efforts as Christians are tainted by sin and are still displeasing to God. And maybe you've heard that too. And so for a Labor Day weekend, I want to know, when you go to work on Monday, this week might be Tuesday, is what you do at your job pleasing to the Lord? Is giving Him your best what He's asking of us? I'd like to answer that by looking at Isaiah. Would you grab a Bible and turn to that? I see my pulpit Bible's missing, so I'm going to grab one out of here. Whoever played that joke, it's not funny. Right? 
And would you go to the book of Isaiah, chapter 64. We are looking at Isaiah 64, verse 6. Isaiah 64, 6. And in this uh, in this book, we just I just gave a lot of context last week for the book about uh, Judah being the southern kingdom of, of a divided kingdom of Israel and how Judah was um, coming under the judgment of God. We looked at that last week. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Be ever hearing but never understanding. Isaiah had a hard message to speak to the people of Israel and Judah and. They weren't going to receive it. God basically said, your people aren't going to hear you out. And we concluded Acts last week with that connection to Isaiah. This is a one-shot sermon. We're not doing a series in Isaiah, but um, I think it's very appropriate for Labor Day and in light of what we're seeing, you know, uh, people rescuing and thinking about righteous acts. Uh, how, do, how do we handle this? Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our, sweat, our sins sweep us away. How do we deal with that? I know many of us have heard a resounding, not good enough, in a spiritual sense, for a long, long time. It's kind of like, you know, uh, I remember when I was a kid, I I had uh, a Super Nintendo. You know what those are, kids? Super Nintendo, you know, maybe. I don't know. Uh, ancient, ancient. I started with the Atari, of course, like all good video gamers. But I got to the Super Nintendo. I remember you'd play, you'd play games, and sometimes you'd usually, if you played it for the first time, you'd set it on level easy, you know. And if you're a gamer, you always wanted to get to the end of the game and find out how it ended. You know, like you get a special end, end credit sequence, you know, and you'd see kind of what happened to the hero of the story. But if you play it on easy, usually you beat the game and you get to the end and they say, sorry, you beat it on easy, you need to play it at a harder level, you know. So then you put it on medium and beat the whole game and then you beat it and they say, no, you need to beat it on a harder level. Then you put it on hard and then you get like 10 seconds of good job, you're a great game, you know, I, I don't know. Never never actually worth it, but, but you played for that, like, I did it at the hardest level, I completed it. But, but on the way, I always got this sense of it wasn't good enough, you didn't do good enough. And some of us, that's the way we kind of do spiritual life. We, we constantly have the tape recorder, we constantly have the end credit sequence saying, not good enough. And then we wonder if our end credit sequence with God, when we get to heaven, is going to sound a lot like that. Not good enough. Saw what you did, it should have been better. And I think verses like this fuel that notion. What does it mean, though, that we say our righteous deeds are like filthy rags? What does that actually mean? And I'm just going to come out and say I don't believe it means what I've always assumed that it means. I, I really don't believe that the good works we do are filthy to God as believers in Christ. I don't believe that. Well, why? Well, let me do a couple words on context in Isaiah 
and then I'll look at some other passages throughout the Scripture. So I want to call your attention, first of all, so we'll get some evidence going here. Uh, look at chapter 64, verse 5. So just one verse before our righteousness is as filthy rags. Verse 5 says, You come to help those who gladly do right. That, that would be righteousness. Some, some of your translations will say righteousness. That's what the word is. Who remember your ways. But when we continue to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? So <clears throat> the verse before says, God meets with people who do righteousness. God meets with them. But he doesn't meet with people then who sin. Now, we had to define righteousness real quick here. Maybe I skipped that slide. I don't know. Uh, what is righteousness? I, I like R.C. Sproul on this because it's very simple. I, I think it needs to have a, you know, Righteousness is something that you can study the whole Bible on and, and try to get a good definition of. And, and I could take a whole sermon trying to d- define it. I'm sure I could and still not get deep enough. But I love Sproul because he kind of does it in a easy-to-understand way, and I'm about that this morning. Doing what is right in the sight of God. You're doing what is right in the sight of God. So who defines what's right? If you look up in Webster's, Webster's would say uh, righteousness is doing what is morally right, you know, according to your opinion. Well, whose opinion should you follow for that? Is it the culture? Is it the state? Is it the government? Who says what's right? So we would say righteousness then is doing what's right as God defines it. And if you talk about God's righteousness, you could say God does things that are right according to himself. God does things that bring glory to himself. God is all about his glory. He's all about making a name for himself. So if that's righteousness to God, we also want to do what is right in his eyes and what glorifies him. Okay, so that's righteousness. So verse 5 in Isaiah says, you come to help those who gladly do right or do righteousness, who remember your ways. <clears throat> so if I remember God's ways, and this fits our definite, this fits Sproul's definition of righteousness. If I remember God's ways and I do those things, it says God wants to meet with me. He wants to be close to me. But if I don't, then obviously he's going to be distant from me. Sin makes God distant. Sin severs the relationship. So, The immediate context of Isaiah is, you got two choices. Do righteousness or don't, or sin. But there's something about Israel's righteousness that's not right to God. There's something about what they're trying to do that doesn't make sense to God. Now, if you want to get the broader context to see what that is, I'd invite you to go to Isaiah 58. If you turn back a few pages... Isaiah 58. And a lot of you will recognize this passage. Israel talks about its own righteousness. Uh, We'll do uh, chapter 58, verse 2. For day after day they seek me out, they seem eager to know my ways. That would be his God's righteous ways. As if they were a nation that does what is right, what is righteous, and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just, or that would be righteous decisions. 
They seem eager for God to come near them. There's that meeting idea again. Come near us, God. Be near us. Why have we fasted? Fasting is righteous, right? Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Verse 4, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? Sounds like a lot what I just read in the news, right? Um, when you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and He will say, Here I am. And we could go on, but I'll, I'll just stop there. You get the point, I think, that God is calling His people to do righteous things. Things that sound a lot like what people are doing in the light of Hurricane Harvey and other parts of the world. People are sending their clothing to Texas. You know, they're boxing up clothes and they're sending it out and workers are sorting through it and distributing it. I just read a blog uh, last night, but th- there are things they don't need, you know. Someone said they're, they're getting set prom dresses. They, they don't need those. And there's a whole list of things they don't really need. But they need what's immediate. They need pants and shirts and socks, you know. They need things and people are sending things. That They're clothing people. And then they're sending money for food. People are taking other people into their businesses. Righteous works, right? So this is how I understand the phrase, your righteousness is as filthy rags. God is saying to his people Israel, you're doing religious stuff, but it's hypocritical. It's fake. You spend a day fasting but then you mistreat your employees. Is that what I want? For you to go without food for a day, but then withhold wages to your workers so they can't provide food for their families? Is that what I want? This is hypocritical, religious actions, and God says, it's filthy. I'll have no more of it. I hate false spirituality. I hate false works that look good on the outside. Jesus talked the same way, by the way. If you pray in public so everybody can see you. If you give in a way that everybody can see what you're giving, you've received your reward in full. God's not pleased with that. There's a way to do righteous things that's very unrighteous. And I believe that's exactly what Isaiah is talking about here. Now, Maybe that comes as a breath of fresh air to many of you. Let me show you a few other places where I think the Scripture absolutely confirms that when a Christian does good, God looks at it and says, I delight in that. 
Let me show you three places. I could do many more. I, I, withheld, I held myself back to three. I want to show you a couple. Number one, and, and this will be on the screen behind me. Number one, Ephesians 2.10. You all know this. For we are God's workmanship, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we can say God ordains our righteous works. When we say God is sovereign of, over us, one of the things we mean is that God moves in us to do righteous things. So when you do something for a neighbor, when you help them with something, or, or, when, you, or when you give for hurricane relief, when you help someone move into their house, when, when you do your best at your job even though it's going unnoticed, these are things that God sees and He's planned for you to do them. He's ordained it. And God hasn't ordained, He hasn't planned, He hasn't created you in Christ Jesus for filthy rags. Number two, God is pleased by our righteous works. Remember the parable of uh, the talents? You, this person has talents and every, uh, three different servants get different amounts of talents and they're supposed to put their talent, their money to work. And they come back and they've multiplied their talents. And at the end, the master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So I get the strong impression that God sees what we do and it gives him joy. He delights in it. He's planned for it. And when you do it, he says, Well done. So it's not that those of us that have worked for the Lord and believe in him, it's not that it's a not, not, not good enough. You tried hard, sorry. It's well done. Good work. I saw it all. I made a note of everything you've done. Number three, one more. Um, I love this. I just saw this one a few days ago because I've, I've been looking for a lot of these passages. This is Revelation. This is, this is us going to the wedding feast. This is us with Jesus, with God's people, celebrating in heaven together when Jesus comes back. This is what it says. Revelation 19.8, It was granted her, that would be the church, that would be us, the church, to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Your righteous deeds are somehow symbolically the linen that you're clothed with when you celebrate with Jesus after his arrival. And no, I can't make all the connections there, and it's a little mysterious there, but somehow, I'm not given dirty rags to wear. I'm given linen to wear based on the deeds that I do and that you do in this life. A far cry from dirty rags is the linen that we are given. Let me say this then. Um, God delights in the righteous works of his people. If I can just say that one thing over and over. God delights in the righteous works of his people. He loves it. I have a uh, this uh, picture in my office. It's not even a picture. It's a... Uh, it's a thing my kids made me, and it, and it says some things on here. I just want to read it. 
they, they wrote this last year. And I keep this in my office. Um, I, I see it when I sit down to go to work. And, uh, you know, it says, Why we appreciate you. Dear Dad, we're grateful God gave you to us. Thank you for providing for our family, our beautiful home, and our food. Thank you for teaching us things and helping us with homework. We love playing games, going out to eat, going on trips, watching movies with you. Grayson says he loves playing toys with you. Thank you for being a great dad. We really love you. Love, Derek, Brayden, Caitlin, Grayson. Um, I'm not crazy about the color of the frame and the penmanship could use a little work, but... No, no, what, what, would I really say that? Like, what, would you do that? No, really. I mean, we're in school season now. And many of you are going to have artwork all over the house. How many of you are people that feel like you need to save all of that artwork? Be honest now. Some of you, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, I know who you are. Yep. You know, we, we usually save artwork for a while. <laughs> um, but, but I usually get artwork that I put in my office, you know? And when, when, when my, one of my kids hands me something and says, Dad, I drew this, it's you and me, and I'm looking at it, I, I don't give it the critique. I, I, I don't look at it and I go, well, you should have tried harder. You, you know, you're, you're no Rembrandt, really. <laughs> Let me talk to your art teacher about that, you know. <clears throat> what are they teaching you in art class these days, you know? Um, I, I don't do that. I say, that's great. That's awesome. Look what you did. I love it. It doesn't have to be perfection, the work of a artist, put it on eBay and sell it and make thousands of dollars. It doesn't have to be that for me to praise it and to delight in it. Right? Even if I can recognize they're still growing in their talent and their ability, it's still great to me. And that's the way God sees us. Like, he's a good father, and he sees what we've done, and he says, you know, I, sure, you probably could have done something differently or better or whatever, but, but I delight in what you've done. I delight that you did it in my name. This is the kind of God that we serve. The God who, who is planning on, intending on saying, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the end credits of this life. That's where we want to get to. And maybe we've just missed it with some verses like this. Can I spend some moments in application then thinking through why, why have we misunderstood this verse? Why are we so quick to think that God looks at our righteous works and says, not good enough. Why do we fall into that trap in the first place with this verse? And these are just applications. These are pastoral reflections. I'm going to give you four of them for you to think about, and maybe this will help you for the future in thinking through some of these things. Number one, we fall for fortune cookie Christianity. If you ever eaten at a Chinese place, you get those little fortune cookies and you break them open and you read your fortune and you laugh about it and then you throw the paper away, you know. But but fortune cookie, they have like a little statement on the inside, don't they, you know. And, 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 and that's how many of us do Bible. You know, we do the Bible by looking at one verse and, 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 and thinking, 
that verse is that verse, whatever it says in that one statement, that's what it means to me. Instead of looking at the context, looking at the verses around it, trying to understand what it really means, looking deeper at it. And I, I, could, I could list a whole bunch of verses we do this to. Maybe one of the most famous ones is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which is inspirational. And it, and it does mean we can do all things, but the context is suffering. I can suffer well through Christ who strengthens me. I, I can deal with all of that through Christ who strengthens me. That's the context. And so maybe what we've fallen into is, just give me the verse for the day. And I'll just chew on that. And and don't get me wrong, it's good to meditate on single verses. But make sure you root that single verse in the broader context so you know what it's really saying. Otherwise, you can create all sorts of weird things out of your Bible reading. That's fortune cookie Christianity. Secondly, maybe for many of us, we have an inaccurate view of God the Father. And it's easy for us to believe that God is always shaking his head at us. Maybe that's what our dads were like. Maybe they were perfectionists. I don't know. And we know God is perfect and God calls us to be perfect like him, but God also receives our righteous deeds as they are. Like he does. He's planned for them. We're God's workmanship. Maybe we just have an inaccurate view of God the Father and we need to change that view. It's funny how we can believe contradictory things about God I knew the verses that I mentioned this morning out of the New Testament, I've known those verses forever, you know. Like, I know that I've memorized those verses. But for some reason, I didn't let those verses speak into Isaiah. I let Isaiah, uh, an incorrect understanding of Isaiah 54, speak into everything else. Maybe I need to see God as the one who delights in how I work for him. And if no one else appreciates me when I go to work, I know my father does. And he sees what I do at my job. He sees what I do for my neighbor. He sees the help I give that no one else sees. And he says, well done. Number three, maybe we shrink away from self-evaluation. Paul in Romans 12, verse 3 says, Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but consider yourself with sober judgment. I'm supposed to look at my own works. Maybe for many of us, it's easier to say, oh, it's all filthy rags anyway, I'm not worried about it, you know? Instead of actually taking a look at your works and saying, what does God want from me? What has God created me for? What is he planning for you to do this week? Maybe it's easier for us to step back and say, it's all dirty, I'm done, who cares? Instead of dealing with it and making sure our works do match our faith. And then number four, I think we have a problem sometimes when we confuse justification with sanctification. So I'm throwing out the big words today. Follow me on this. If, 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 you're not, if you haven't been in church much, I'll try to explain these very easily. Justification is this courtroom concept of God the judge declaring Christians not guilty of their sin. It's God saying, You've been given the righteousness of Christ. You are righteous. It's God declaring you to be righteous. Even though you're not, because you do lots of sinful things like I do every day. But God has declared me to be right. It's a position that I have. It can't be taken away. 
I'm justified. God said I'm righteous. That's what it is. The judge said it. And one day you're going to hear it from him. You're righteous. Because God gives you Jesus' righteousness. All the things he's done that's right. Okay, that's justification. Sanctification is I'm living out my righteousness. I'm becoming more holy. I'm becoming the way God designed me to be. God is, and God's still doing that. He's still, he's still uh, producing the growth. But that's the process. And I have to cooperate with God in that. I have to submit myself to God in that. You have to submit yourself. And, and, and we join God in His work of being sanctified when we surrender, when we are filled with the Spirit and do what God's called us to do. That's sanctification, becoming more righteous, doing righteousness, becoming more holy. So you could say justification is something that only comes by faith. Sanctification is a righteousness that comes through life, through living as God designed you to live. And we're talking about sanctification today. That's what we're talking about. Don't get it confused with justification. It's sanctification. It's what God's called us to. Sometimes I get visits from people on Saturday mornings. You probably know who you are if you've been to my house on a Saturday morning. And, uh, you know, I'm probably like most people here. You're in shorts and a t-shirt. If I haven't had a haircut recently, I've got big hair and it's going different directions. You know, the teeth are not brushed. But someone will come over and, and they'll visit, visit me, you know, and, and see the pastor. I probably shouldn't be saying this because that sounds like an open invitation, doesn't it? it it's really not. <clears throat> it, it's really not an open invitation to come see me Saturday morning. If this doesn't turn you off to that idea, nothing will, you know. Um, so my hair's different directions. The teeth aren't brushed. Shorts and a t-shirt, you know, no socks on. You're just, you're just kind of, it's Saturday morning, you know. And I think sometimes we wonder, is that how we're showing up in heaven? Unkempt, you know, kind of all falling apart, (laughs) just whatever. But it's not. It's not. It's not the bad breath. It's not the bad hair, you know. We are showing up cleaned by Jesus Christ and somehow getting to wear the righteous works of this life. Again, there's a mystery there. I'm not sure how to even explain all that. But somehow the wedding feast, I'm clothed in that. And it's going to be a beautiful sight to behold. It's not the rags. It's not the leftovers. It's something incredibly beautiful. And we get to participate in it by what we do in this life. Would you join the Lord? Would you answer His call to be the workmanship He's created you to be while you're at your job? And while you're in your neighborhoods? While you're at your church? Would you do the things He's ordained for you to do? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your cleansing work. Your righteousness that have been credited to our account. I thank you that none of us are going to show up in heaven, those that believe in you, we're not going to show up in heaven in a haphazard, 
unkempt way. I am reminded, though, that some will just escape the flames. You say that in Corinthians. But for those of us who serve you and do the righteousness you plan for us, we know that we are a delight to you. For we are giving glory to you. The one who grows us, saves us, cleans us up, and sets us on a path of serving. Who fuels our service. Coordinates it in your sovereignty. May we accomplish all you have for us. And may we not do it to make a name for ourselves. So that people know our name and think well of us. May we do it so they think well of you. So that we can just be a conduit for your light shining into the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.